You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. This morning, the first reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 12. So if on the Pew Bible, it's on page 859. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today your daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. The next reading today is from Jude, verse 17 to 23. In your pew Bibles, it is on page 1088. So we start from verse 17. But you, dear friends, remember what is predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectedly for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Trusting that the Lord will speak to us as we work through some of the stuff that I believe he would like to share with us this morning. Um, You'll notice the pulpit's back. For some reason, Jono doesn't rely on the pulpit. You know, if you go into any of the cathedrals around the world uh, or the older churches in our community, you find those great, big, beautiful pulpits. And you realise, I hope, that they're not just there for their architectural beauty but for fellows like me who like to lean on them occasionally. <laughs> Jono hasn't got to that stage yet, but believe me, it'll come. He'll, he'll get his turn. I want to share a couple of stories with you as I begin, and you'll soon see where I'm going. <clears throat> a group of retired China missionaries 
with a few faithful praying friends, met, met with their regular missionary prayer meeting friends in Adelaide in South Australia some time back. During the meeting, a great urgency, a burden if you like, came upon them as they gathered together. And they felt especially burdened for Hayden Melsap and his family, then assigned to the China Inland Mission. They unanimously decided to drop all their preliminaries and go straight to prayer. And they prayed until they all felt a great sense of peace and relief. A few years later, when the Melsaps were on deputation and visited this particular prayer group, the missionaries asked if he had recalled any unusual occasion about the time that they mentioned. To their amazement, he pulled out his diary to see where he was on that day and found that Hayden and at least two other missionaries were backed up against a wall in the courtyard of a China village with communist guns levelled at them. Just as the officer was about to issue the command to fire, the door of the courtyard opened and a higher official entered for some unknown reason. Shocked to see what was about to happen, he shouted, stop. Then he stepped up, put his arm around the missionaries and led them to safety. That particular story was recounted to me personally by a friend who was a part of that prayer meeting. I know it was a fact. The second story was shared by the same person. It was during the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya that missionaries Matt and Lorna Higgins were returning one night to Nairobi through the heart of Mau Mau territory where Kenyans and missionaries alike had been killed and most of them dismembered. 17 miles outside of Nairobi, their Land Rover stopped. Higgins tried to repair the car in the dark, but he couldn't do it. So they prayed together, claimed the verse from Psalm 4.8, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O God, will make me dwell in your safety. They woke in the morning and were able to repair the car. Again, a few weeks later, the Higginses returned to, uh, to Australia for furlough. They reported that the night before they left Nairobi, a local pastor there had visited them. He told how a member of the Mau Mau tribe had confessed to him that he and three others had crept up to the car to kill the Higginses. But when they saw 16 men surrounding the car, the Mau Maus got frightened and they left in fear. 16 men, Higgins responded, I have no idea what you're talking about. While they were on furlough, a friend, Clay Brent, asked the Higginses if they had been in any danger recently and again worked back to that date. When Clay reported to the family that on March 23rd, the particular date they were talking about, God had placed a heavy burden of prayer on his heart through the night. So he got onto his phone and called some men in the church to come and meet together and pray for this family before the burden lifted. 
16 men were at the prayer meeting. I know if you can add up two and two, but that says a lot to me about the power of prayer and what can, God can do in some most unusual circumstances. In recent months, we've had the privilege of hearing messages from our pastor, Jonathan, on those two passages that were read to us this morning. The first one from Matthew, and I don't know how many weeks we did. Was it 15 or 16 or something? We went through the Sermon on the Mount. We're very fortunate, I believe, to have Jono not only as our pastor, our, our leader, if you like, but also one who I believe has a, an undoubted gift of teaching. We are blessed to have him, and I hope we don't take him for granted as weekly he opens God's word under God's guidance to open to us what God wants to say to us. That's not my particular gift. I don't have that gift of teaching, but I believe I am able to share with you some thoughts that have been running through my mind since Jonathan started that series and some things I've been learning over the years of my Christian walk. It seems to me that it, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, that the word is fresh every time you open it. That every time a preacher gets up and preaches on a passage that you may have heard several times, there's a lot of new stuff that God still has to say to you, still has to teach us. I believe in my own life that one of the greatest gifts God has given uh, to me from himself is uh, the gift of patience that he's shown to me <laughs> because uh, you know I, I think I'm like a lot of you I have to hear the same thing over and over again before it actually sinks in and this series on Matthew has been no exception there'd be very few of us who have been a Christian for any length of time who haven't heard many messages on parts of at least the Sermon on the Mount and then last month, Jono did a, a short series on the book of Jude, again, which David read for us this morning. Thank you, Dave. And so that again mentions the theory, the, the theme of prayer. And uh, when I was considering what to share this morning, I was very impressed to share some more stuff about prayer. I've been... Um, one who's been interested in prayer for a long time. I don't claim to have a gift of prayer. I don't claim to be a particularly good prayer, but I like to pray and I have a strong belief in prayer. Now, if I'm going to talk about prayer, or as I announce that I'm going to talk about prayer, my, my guess is that some of you may have already turned off. And uh, as John, I would say, look at me. Wake up and listen. <laughs> a lot of us, I think, feel that prayer is one of those things that's for some people in the church, but it's not necessarily for me. Some of us get interested because when we look at the church, it seems like prayer is one of those biggies that, that we should be taking notice of. But a lot of you, I know, because you come to prayer meetings, you, you get involved on Sunday mornings, uh, enjoy prayer. You've found the blessing of meeting with God face to face and seeing the answers that he brings. 
As I was thinking about prayer and how each of us approaches prayer or doesn't approach prayer, I guess it depends a lot on what we know about prayer, on um, the perceptions we have from growing up, either in or out of the, the church. I know in the little church that I grew up in, prayer was rarely mentioned except in uh, church liturgy. Now, if the, like we did this morning, we've read some passages of liturgy and there's prayer. That was about the only mention of prayer that was brought up in my church. Personal or corporate prayer was rarely even mentioned, much less encouraged. However, if you've been at Red Door for even a short burst of time, you'll realise that in Red Door we take prayer very seriously. We, we believe in it. We've seen answers. We know what God can do as his people pray. I'm mystified still, after all these years, why God really wants us involved in prayer. You know, he could snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. But for some reason, God has decided that he wants us, his sons and daughters, to be involved with him in this ministry, if you like, of prayer, in this blessing of prayer. If you have a Bible in front of you and you look back at chapter 6, you'll see that verses 5, 6 and 7 all begin with the words, whenever you pray or when you pray. I don't think it's a coincidence that it says when you pray and not if you pray. Because I think Jesus in this passage is telling us that when we pray, this is how you do it. It's not if you happen to pray, this is how you do it. I think he's giving us instructions of what we should be doing as Christians, as those who follow Jesus. I don't believe prayer is an option any more than studying your Bible is an option. Jesus, as you read through uh, the New Testament, had a definite emphasis on prayer. He encouraged it. And you'll be surprised if you try to add it up how many times Jesus can be found praying in the New Testament. I think the matter of prayer was a priority for Jesus. And his assumption, I believe, God's assumption for us, his people, is that when we pray, we will do it this way, not if we pray. I'm a um, follower, if you like. I've uh, read a lot of books by Dr. Warren Weasby, who is now of an age where he's with the Lord and not with us. Uh, but I love his books. And in one of his um, books on this particular passage, he says, the word of God and prayer go together for spiritual growth. If all we do is read and study the Bible, we will have a great deal of light, but very little power. However, if we concentrate on prayer and ignore the Bible, we may be guilty of having a lot of zeal, but without much knowledge about how to use it. Dr. Weasby says, we read the Bible to grow in faith, then we use that faith to ask God for what we need and for what his word tells us we may have. And then again, Dr. Weasby on those second uh, reading we had from Jude, I haven't got the verse here, but it says by building their faith, by prayer, 
keeping themselves to God's love and to be waiting for God's mercy. Again, the emphasis on prayer. And Dr. Wearsby says, the power for building the Christian life comes from prayer. And praying in the Holy Spirit means to pray according to the leading of God's Spirit. Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. Prayer is an amazing thing. If you allow yourself to be a prayer, if you ask God to make you one who prays, if you ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to remind you to pray, he will do it. Someone confronted me about that quite a long time ago and a few days later I happened to be in the city and I was on a lift in Myers and uh, I got, a, uh, I mean, an escalator. I was going up an escalator. And I had this very strong impression to pray for a, a person that I knew who belonged to the church. And uh, I ignored it and turned the corner and went up the next lot. And it came again. By, by the third escalator, I realised God was trying to get through to me. And while I was riding the escalator, I started praying uh, for that particular friend. And then I was reminded that I'd ask God to prompt me about praying. And uh, he always takes us at our word. And it doesn't matter where you are, on an escalator in Myers, at a football game, sitting in a chair, a pew at Red Door Church. If you're committed to God and you're really serious about prayer and you've asked him to make you a prayer, someone that he can rely on, to prompt and pray. He's going to do it. I might warn you though, sometimes it happens at the most ungodly hours and don't be surprised if you make such a commitment to find in the next little while you're being woken up at two or three in the morning with some sort of prayer request. In my life I didn't find that prayer came easy. I found that the to- it takes time to develop. It's a learning process. You know, when we start to read the Bible, we don't understand it all at once. In fact, I'd be surprised, I certainly wouldn't, if any of you could say that you understand every passage in the Bible. It's a lifelong experience. It's the same with prayer. It's an experience. It's a growing with Jesus. It's a learning to trust that he is going to answer those prayers that will make the difference. I think there's three elements to prayer that I'd like to briefly share with you. Firstly, there's an invitation to pray. And this is the thing that boggles my brain. In Luke 11, Jesus asks us to pray. He invites us to come to him in prayer. Ask, seek and knock, he says. Seems to me a very clear indication I think too we have to realise that prayer isn't forcing ourselves on God. He's made the invitation. He expects us to take it up. He's expecting us to come in prayer. We pray at God's instigation, not ours. So we don't have to feel we're intruding on him. 
We don't have to feel we're trying to take over his plan. If the Holy Spirit prompts us to pray, or if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in prayer, it's because that's what God wants. We need to acknowledge that prayer is not trying to get something out of a reluctant God. It's just the opposite. Because he is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And to give more than either we desire or we deserve. I think uh, God's law is uh, in prayer. In John 14, 14 we read, If you ask, I will do. If you ask, I will do. Seems to be one of God's rules, one of God's laws. God has taken the initiative and he's invited us to ask. The second element of prayer is that it's up to us to accept his invitation. God isn't going to force you to pray. But you can ask God to make you want to pray. If prayer isn't something that comes naturally to you, then you can begin by asking him, Lord, show me how to pray. Teach me to be a prayer. Show me what prayer is all about. And he'll do that for you. Sometimes he has to change your heart before you can be actively involved in the process. I know too in my own life, our bodies get tired. Our spirits go up and down with the day. Our minds get preoccupied with so many other things. And our hearts can even grow lukewarm to the things of Christ. And God knows that and he understands it. It's a common, it's a common problem, I think, for all of us. Men, women and children, lay people and pastors too. I think sometimes we forget that our pastors are only human beings trying to do what God has asked them to do. Sometimes we get a delay in the answer to our prayers. And isn't that a put off? God, why haven't you done it? Or why haven't you done it my way? I was having that conversation with the Lord one day this week, actually. I've got a particular prayer uh, that I pray every day, every day. I can promise you, because I asked the Lord to do it for me some time back, years, that he would prompt me that before I put my head on the pillow every night, or when I did, that I couldn't sleep before I prayed this particular prayer. And he's been faithful. <laughs> I've gone to bed with a migraine. And do you think I could sleep? <laughs> Until I prayed that prayer. I had COVID six weeks ago. Do you think I could go to sleep before I prayed? No, I couldn't. God can change your heart and do that in you, which you can't do in yourself. And so asking, seeking, knocking. Jesus tells, it, tells us in, in the gospel that prayer is like a needy man going to a friend's house for help. And when he arrives, he calls out to his friend to ask for whatever it is that he wants and he gets no reply. So he goes in and he goes around the house looking for the guy 
to find where he is so that he can get this particular whatever it is that he wants. And, and he has no, that has no effect, yelling out. So in the end, he goes to the door and he belts the heck out of the door to make sure his friend is awake so he can get what it is he wants. And scripture tells us that this is what prayer is all about. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Perseverance. I'm interested too, not that I'm a scholar of Greek, although we did have to do a little bit of it uh, in Bible college that got you a little more than fish and chips. But uh, in the Greek tense of ask, seek, and knock, it actually translates keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. It's an ongoing process. It's like that old thing, you know, first you don't succeed, try, try again. It's the same principle, really. And so don't get frustrated if you believe your prayer hasn't been answered. God will answer, and he'll answer it in his time. I've been told, or I was told by family members many years ago that uh, my two saintly grandmothers, who, who both passed away when I was a teenager, but apparently was a true, both of them true saints, both of their husbands, as it would turn out, were uh, less than Christian. But, but my two grandmothers, apparently, were wonderful Christian ladies. And one of the things that both of them did was to pray for their grandchildren as they arrived. And so I was privileged, number one grandchild, to be prayed for and to be prayed uh, that I would come to the Lord, that I would know Jesus, that I would become a follower of Jesus. You know, I didn't become a Christian until six years after the last of those two ladies had died. They never saw the answers to their prayers. God doesn't tell us we'll see the answers to our prayers. He only calls us to be faithful in praying. My grandmothers never saw the result. But God was faithful. I wonder what would happen if they had lost heart and after the first once or twice or three times, little Doug hadn't yet known Jesus. You know, I wonder if they were tempted to give up, get frustrated, because God didn't answer their prayers in their time. The third element to prayer is to realise that the last move is God's move. <laughs> Do you ever pray to God and, and then try to help him out? <laughs> I have to admit to being one of those people. I, I like to give God a hand and uh, try and help him work out the solution to my problem or my prayer. I've got a tendency in my prayer to ask God to fix the thing, whatever it is, the way I think it should be fixed. You do that? <laughs> or are you willing to allow God to be God and to answer the prayer that's been laid on your heart in any way he seems fit, even if it has nothing to do with the answer that you think it should be? So the last move in the prayer cycle is God's move. And he's not going to fail anyone who prays. God's answer might not necessarily come when you expect it. And it might not be in the way that you specify or expect. 
And remember, don't pray to impress God. (laughs) I grew up, as I said earlier, in a church and and I can remember those old saints who, who seemed to pontificate with great long and wordy prayers and um, I don't think that impresses God a whole lot. We don't pray to inform God about anything. He already knows. We can even get led to pray for somebody whose name we can't remember. And let me tell you, as you get older, that happens more and more. <laughs> and you just have to say, Lord, you know that person I'm thinking about, I'm praying about them, you know, and trust that the Lord knows. He already knows. I don't have to tell him, but he's invited me to pray for that person, so I pray. I don't know why. Why couldn't he just do it? I don't know why. But it's a privilege God calls us to. And we don't pray to tell God what to do, because he already knows what to do. He already has the answers. We pray to be faithful to the call that he makes on our lives, to minister to the world and with him through prayer. Um, We've prepared, a number of us have prepared a a little brochure that you'll find in a number of places around the church. I urge you to take that. It's called your most Christ-like work. Don't take it if you don't want to be challenged. Uh, because I really believe it will challenge you. It's a wonderful little document. It's not big. Take it and meditate over it, and, and I think it will change your life. And remember when you pray, God doesn't want to make a fool of you. If we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a rock, as it says in Scripture. It may be something much more needed even than bread. He may happily give us cake, but never a rock. God is never going to let you down in prayer. And when you don't get the particular answer that you're thinking about, you'll be surprised how much better his plan is or his idea is. And so we are all encouraged to ask, to seek and to knock. Even sinners like you and me are encouraged, dare I say told, to come to God in prayer. You know, when Pastor Jono gets up here week by week, have, have you noticed, he sometimes even refers to it, that he's got a three-point sermon this morning. And have you noticed those preachers that have three-point sermons and, and usually each point begins with the same letter? Have you noticed that? Yeah. I know why the heck they taught us that in Bible college. But Anyway, I thought I could go one better than Jono. And so I'm going to give you... Um, a seven-point sermon. And it's only early. By my clock, it's only 10 o'clock. And um, I think I've got plenty of time. Okay, point one, and, and it will be brief. Prayer builds up our relationship with Jesus. We are called to prayer firstly because it's the key to building our love relationship with him. Christianity is primarily not a body of rules, it's a relationship. 
we become Christians because we receive Christ who loves us, who died for us and who lives for us daily. Ephesians 3.18, Paul says that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. That's the first thing that prayer is all about. Imagine how much doesn't get done if we don't pray. I don't know how close we are to going to be with the Lord, but we're up to 2,000 years. I wonder if the hold-up is that Christians down through the ages haven't taken prayer seriously. Secondly, prayer helps us to overcome temptation. Have you ever noticed how a lessening of your prayer life seems to intensify your temptation to sin? Particularly that sin that is a long-term struggle for you. How that is heightened when you lessen your prayers. In the 22nd chapter of Luke, we see recorded the night before Jesus' crucifixion and among the things he shared with his disciples, Jesus told them to pray that they might not enter into temptation. I guess what he was saying, that prayer is the antidote to yielding to temptation, that fear, discouragement and horror will bring us. Prayer strengthens our shaky faith and it encourages us. Jesus knew this because he had already faced his own dark times in temptation and he knew the way to get on top of that was by spending time with his father. Thirdly, prayer helps us determine God's will. You know, sometimes we come to prayer and we have in our mind two or three options that, that are probably going to be the answer. And we might even think one of those options is probably going to be God's favourite. We have a bias. I think as we start praying through those issues, the bias will dissipate. Things will start to become clear. A level ground, if you like, will begin to lead you to God's will. And as you experience prayer more and more, it will become easier to discern God's will or God's plan. It may come as you pray, it might come as you read your word, the word, or it might be the wise counsel of a good friend, someone you're close to, but it will come. Jesus will guide and he'll surprise you in the many and varied ways he will make his will known for you. When I was a, a teenager and uh, I, I didn't particularly enjoy school, had a heck of a lot of fun at school. Um, some of my teachers didn't appreciate that always. Um, I was in a small group in high school who thought school was just for socialisation more than actually being serious about the books. But the one ambition I had as a teenager was to travel. And then I became a Christian and after some time God led us to um, go to Bible college, give up our jobs, go back to Bible college and 
go to the mission field, become missionaries. And, you know, I knew from the vast experience of other people that missionaries don't get very much pay. Um, and that's true. But you get rewarded in many, many other ways. And in all the years that we're in missions, we never missed out on anything. But I knew that once I was a missionary, I was pretty much going to be a pauper. And so my ambition to travel was going to be lost. Little did I know, little did I know that what the Lord had in store for me was 20 odd years of travelling the world for God. <laughs> I added it up recently. I've had 16, yes, 16 trips to the United States because I was elected to a board of directors that met in, Los in uh, Indianapolis and I had to go to board meetings every year. And then I was part of a subcommittee of that board that had to do some surveys. And so over a period of about three years, I visited, let me see, I visited Italy because we had work there, Spain. Um, where else, Jude? Lots of Korea, South Korea, China, visiting underground churches, Russia, uh, I, I could probably, if I could remember them all, there must be 12 or 15 of them. God didn't want me to give up my ambition to travel. He wanted to make sure I was willing to. And then he gave me exactly my heart's desire. We have a, a wonderful God. And his will for you is much better than you can even imagine. The, 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 uh, are we up to four? Yes, the fourth thing, prayer accomplishes God's work. John 14, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Every one of us who prays can touch the world with prayer. I participate with God, not only through prayers for my family and my friends, but throughout the world in accomplishing his work in so many places around the world. And it doesn't matter about your gifts or your talents. Praying is a levelling field we can all do it. We all have the same access to the Father. And he will do what we ask. And his work will be accomplished as we pray. Number five, prayer is a weapon for spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6, we find God's arsenal for battle and where we are reminded that our struggles ultimately are not against human beings. Vladimir Putin comes to mind this morning. But against powerful spiritual beings and forces in the spiritual realm, the things that directly influence the natural and the material world. And so the word to us from God himself is that prayer overcomes spiritual darkness. So have you stopped to consider... Have you stopped to consider 
that your prayers can have an effect on Mr. Putin in Russia this morning? Do you really believe they could? I really believe that as Christians will unite, Mr. Putin will find himself out of a job. God can do that because God has promised in his word that he's already won the spiritual battles. It's already done. And if you want to be part of it, <laughs> get to your knees a little more often. I have a friend in the United States who was a, um, on the staff at a particular university there and they had a, a very powerful administrator who was blocking uh, the placement of an additional uh, Christian worker for the university because he didn't believe in the gospel himself. It was a Christian university, but this particular administrator wasn't a Christian and uh, he didn't believe in hiring extra Christians on staff. So the Christian, the student movement uh, got wind of it and uh, so they started to have prayer meetings about, uh, about this because they felt that no one had the right uh, to prevent students from hearing about Christ. And they began to ask that God would change the man's heart or remove him from the university. And they continued to pray for over six months. And then suddenly, for no apparent reason, the administrator was demoted and a Christian pastor was appointed in his job. And the replacement asked the students why there weren't more Christian workers in the university. <laughs> but the worker came, the gospel flourished, and that, un that university went through several weeks of spiritual revival and renewal as those students prayed for their staff. Number six, prayer is a requisite, a prerequisite, sorry, to spiritual awakening. I don't have time. I've got a whole list of them here. I, I Googled. Do you love Mr. Google? I love Mr. Google. Um, I Googled um, Christian revival this week, and you'll find pages and pages and pages of revivals that have happened in various parts of the world, all, all beginning with one or two people getting together to pray. Revivals that have taken weeks. The Welsh revival is a really good one to look at. They, they say, if you, if you look it up, that over 100,000 people were converted during the Welsh revival early in the century, last century. It began with two old ladies praying for their town to have revival. Prayer is a prerequisite to spiritual awakening. And finally, prayer is valuable to God. Prayer is valuable to God. It seems to be the most important reason to pray. Whether we see the answers to our prayers or not, whether we derive any personal benefits or not, God views prayer as standing alone with a totally incomprehensible value. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, God is able to save completely those who come to him through prayer since he always lives to intercede for them. 
Have you thought about that right now? Jesus is living in heaven to pray for you and me, for our church, for your family. Author and preacher S.D. Gordon puts it this way, Jesus, 30 years of living, 30 years of serving, one tremendous act of dying, and 2,000 years of prayer. What an emphasis of prayer. God obviously values prayer in a way that most of us do not. If you read Revelation, you'll find that uh, there's a number of pictures there of heaven, and one of, one of the pictures is of heaven as um, wafting, if you like, with an aroma, a smell. And uh, don't worry, if you're a hay fever sufferer, by the time you get there, there's no hay fever. Um, and that, that perfume, if you like, is the prayers of the saints through the angels, recorded in the book of Revelation. God could have chosen service. He could have chosen Bible reading, witnessing, hard work, doing the church garden, tithing, being in church every Sunday, or many other wonderful Christian activities. But in his wisdom, God chose prayer as most worthy and to be recognised in heaven. So if God values prayer that much, what does that imply to us? Certainly it should be at a much more central place in our lives, in my life, than it currently is for most of us. I don't think many of us fully grasp just how far our prayers can have an influence. Prayers can come soon, or like my grandmother's prayers, they could take a long time. Just a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, um, we were having a, a meeting here in the church, and uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, brought to us a, a particular matter that was uh, he got on his email, and uh, we were concerned about it. It, uh, it was quite alarming, the, the matter that had been thrust upon Rendor had, had some pretty horrible outcomes if what was said in the email was actually true. And uh, so we talked about it quite a bit and, you know, sort of tried to work out what our plan of action might be and, and just went forward with our meeting. And then a little while afterwards, uh, along with that particular matter and a number of other matters, we, we had a time, quite a long time, of prayer actually. And within a few minutes, one of the folk in that meeting come up with an answer that none of us had thought about, but that she'd been prompted, I guess, as a result of our prayers. And it turned out that the problem that was on Jono's emails should have actually gone to another pastor. It wasn't a red door problem at all. <laughs> we sweated about it, and God already knew that it wasn't our problem to sweat about as we took time to pray about it, he revealed that to us. By the end of the day, situation finished, done with. We don't have to refer to it again, except that I just did. <laughs> so sometimes your prayers are fairly much instantaneous. 
Sometimes you'll see a result of them fairly quickly. Uh, Judy has a cousin who lives in Ballarat and um, uh, this cousin is a, actually a, a very close cousin, uh, probably one of our closest relatives because as a young lad, uh, Peter uh, lived with Judy's mum and dad when he came to Melbourne to do his apprenticeship. And uh, so they, Judy and her sister really look on this cousin more like a, a brother than a cousin and he's probably the relative we see the most anyway. Peter had an illness some years ago and one of his kidneys and now doesn't function. And so uh, his wife Raylene rang us, must be about three weeks ago, on a Wednesday and said, uh, look, Peter's really sick. They've put him in Bendigo Hospital. His second kidney has failed. They're going to try dialysis tomorrow. And if that works, he'll be on dialysis for the rest of his life. The other side of the coin is, well, you can guess if the dialysis didn't work. So we began to pray and I asked some friends to pray. And uh, on Friday, he had, no, Thursday, he had his first dialysis. And I think it was Saturday morning, he had his second dialysis. And on Monday, uh, they rang us to say that the doctor had came come into them and for some apparent reason not only was the kidney functioning again but he didn't need any more dialysis. Now according to kidney specialists that doesn't happen. But I guess our specialist God <laughs> has other ideas and uh, we continue to try and witness to Peter and I'm hoping that through this particular event we may be able to point him eventually to Jesus. He hasn't got there yet. So pray for Peter. Within three days, a healing from a, a kidney that had totally stopped functioning when the other one had already died several years ago. So you can pray and your prayers can work. Now nothing happened to Peter because I prayed or Judy prayed or our friends prayed. It happened because God listened and God acted. Don't ever get the idea that your prayer answers anything. It doesn't. It's got nothing to do with us. It's God who does the work. All we have to do is be faithful in our praying. We can pray for our missionary Benjamin in Austria. Many of you know Benjamin. And God will answer those prayers on Ben's behalf. Other side of the world. We can pray for the churches in Africa, China, Dubai, the Philippines, and God will answer and supply their needs. As I said before, our prayers can directly affect what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine if we will but join in prayer. We can pray for healing for God's people, and in his time, God will heal. And when a church really begins to pray, a 10-year-old building debt can be paid off not in the year hoped for and prayed for, but in 10 months. Doesn't God have a great sense of humour? We ask him to solve our debt in, in a year and he did it in 10 months. We serve an amazing God. There's a second little brochure I'd like you to take because some of us are not quite sure where to start on 
in prayer. Again, uh, look for them around the church or ask Suzanne or I, one of the others. Um, there's a little prayer guide there just to help you get started on how you may, in practical ways, start your road on a prayer life. In closing, has it gone 11 o'clock? In closing, I want to tell you a, a little story from our own experience. The year, I think, was about 1981, and Judy and I actually lived in Mount Macedon. Most of you know it's a fairly cold part of the world, and um, actually we didn't live in Mount Macedon. That's where all the big houses are. We lived at the base of Mount Macedon at Macedon. But it was in the middle of the Black Forest. If you've driven up the Kola Highway, you know the Black Forest. And uh, anyway, we had decided to um, go back to school, to go to Bible College, to quit our jobs. And um, we had just had our daughter and uh, Judy was at home. And our biggest expense was uh, an oil heater. In those days, many, many people had oil heaters but they cost you an arm and a leg to run. So one of our concerns was we weren't to go to Bible college, this was like February or something, we weren't to go to Bible college until the next February, and uh, how were we going to get through winter with this oil heater, which had to be filled every month, had to be filled every month. Judy was gonna be home with a new baby, um, I was gonna be on the road doing some deputation. We didn't have a lot of income in those days, and we figured we could keep the house payment up, although we were asked later to give up that house, um, which is another story. But anyway, how are we going to pay for this oil heater? We lived in that house till the following January, and we didn't get a monthly bill the whole of that last year. We went through days of snow and cold, as you know happens in Macedon. The oil heater was running sometimes 24 hours a day and we don't know how but for that entire year we never got a bill now we don't know if the bill got lost somewhere if someone that we don't know about actually got our oil heater filled with oil every month we don't know what happened we've never found out but god filled our oil heater through a very cold, snowy winter <laughs> so that we could keep warm and it didn't cost us a cent. The power of prayer. To heal for the very practical things that you're concerned about. For the world that we're in that's facing trials beyond our comprehension. And God is just waiting for you to be a part of what he wants to do for this rotten world <laughs> where war is happening, where people are starving, where people are being killed just because they want to go to church, where people are dying unnecessarily because they don't have the drugs or the food to keep them alive. And God wants to know this morning if he can rely on you to be in prayer about these matters, in ministry with him, to see his kingdom come. Let's pray together.
Father, we want to thank you for who you are, for what you are, for what you can do, for what you can accomplish, for the unbelievable way in which you've deigned that we should be involved in ministry with you through prayer. We ask, Lord, help us to commit to it, help us to be faithful in it, Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your leading as we are willing to go to our knees in prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.